the way that they're treated is appalling in a lot of cases. There's systemic bullying that goes on and the behaviours and the expectations from everyone that works within the industry has to change. That's Jude Kingston, founder of WNA's charity partner organisation, Mind Your Fashion, doing an amazing job raising awareness of mental wellbeing in the fashion and creative industries. And this is WNA Trailblazers. WNA Women's Network Australia. WNA Trailblazers, amplifying the stories of women in business. Hosted by Women's Network Australia CEO Cheryl Gray and me, Louise Poole, managing partner from podcast and content production business. Welcome, Change Media, proud media partner of Women's Network Australia. Ever worked in one of those industries or workplaces where everything just feels toxic? While we're all trying to make the best of a bad situation, some employers are out there wanting to be seen to be doing the right thing. And sometimes it feels like it's all our fault and we just need to suck it up. Trailblazer Jude Kingston is the founder of Mind Your Fashion, a charity with a mission to improve conditions in the fashion industry to make it a mentally safe place to work at all levels. And she's Cheryl's guest in this episode. A modern-day trailblazer, our Jude Kingston is, Cheryl. I love Jude. I've got a T-shirt because I love Jude. Well, I don't, but I'd love one. (laughs) I mean, that could be a line of merchandise. We could talk to her about it after. It could be. It certainly could be. And I would buy it and wear it with pride. Jude is one of these amazing people who have had an experience in their lives, in their careers, and could have just gone on, dealt with it, moved on, nothing to see here, but instead decided she wants to make a change and a change in the industry and has put a hand up and said, no, we have to do things differently. And that is courageous. It really is courageous. And it takes a lot of time, effort, but also, you know, having to do a lot of talking and spending a lot of time with people going over your own experiences. Mm. So look, I just think Jude's doing an amazing job in an industry, which we think of in terms of, as Jude said, in terms of its great things that are happening in relation to the environment. And here's an industry that's really trying to turn itself around in relation to environmental credentials, but we have to remember to put people first. And we're seeing too many examples in fashion and in retail of particularly young women who are subjected to some really poor behaviour and we need to stop that. Yeah, Jude is doing some wonderful things when it comes to raising awareness about mental health in fashion and creative industries. The thing is, all of us at some point are affected by bad mental health or negative mental health. It's not just in fashion. And I think there's a lot of industries that could take a lead from some of the stuff that Jude has to say in this interview. Cheryl, you've probably seen it given that, you know, Women's Network Australia has lots of members from different industries that looking after employees and mental health, it's important across everywhere. And it's really sad that that is the case, Louise. This is not confined to the fashion and creative industries. I had an example just a couple of days ago where a young girl working in an unnamed food chain restaurant was retained telling how she was yelled at and abused by her manager for being too nice to one of the customers. Hmm. And I mean, normally wow. you'd be applauded for that, but apparently they had a rule that you're only nice to certain customers, not other customers. Strange rule, but anyway. And so she's a young girl and some of the other staff came up and said, oh, that was terrible. It's happened to us. It's really awful. She did not have the confidence to know how to deal with that situation. So there's two things that come out out of that. One is there's appalling behaviour going on in terms of how particularly young people are being treated in the workplace. And second,
secondly, for a lot of them, that's how they learn how to mm. behave in a workplace. If that's how the managers behave and no one else speaks up, then that's assumed that that's how you get on. And I think that, you know, in Jude's case and certainly in the fashion industry where you have a lot of young girls coming into the workforce, if they're the leadership skills and the role models that they're seeing, mm. then that does not set us up for a good future for our workforce, their own mental health and the mental health of those around them. So I think the lessons that Jude speaks about and the examples, I'm sure that many people listening can equate them to their own workforces. It's just not good enough that we put up with that type of behaviour, and but it's also not good enough that those that call it out often get victimised. Yeah. Let's jump into that chat you had now with Jude. Tell me about how you first got started in the fashion industry. I grew up in Tasmania and realised very quickly when I got to sort of age of career that the opportunities to have the sort of career that I'd like to have didn't exist there. So I moved to Melbourne and started working at a fashion house when I was in Melbourne. And that particular fashion house used to do a lot of work with Maya and an opportunity came up for an assistant buying role at Maya. So I took that role, um, applied for that role and was successful. And that was the start of my career into buying. So I progressed very quickly from an assistant role into a buying role. And what age, Jude? Are we talking in your 20s or? Early 20s. Yeah, very early 20s. So, <laughs> yeah. So still relatively young in your career, but yes, but certainly decided that that was the path you wanted to take. Yes. Always mm-hmm. loved fashion. Mm-hmm. Always. Absolutely loved it. And just knew that the opportunities to do something in that field were going to be greater in Melbourne than they were in Tasmania. And then tell me generally about your experiences in the industry, because we we obviously see, we see the end product, we see beautiful garments, we see runway shows, we see, you know, people wearing crazy things at the Met Gala Ball. Uh, but, yes. but what was the real experience? What is the real experience of working in the fashion industry? The real experience is, is very hard work. First and foremost, it's hard work. It's not spending your days on end going to fashion shows or looking at designer collections or working on your own collections. The reality is probably 25% of your time is spent on the actual product. The rest of the time you are running businesses. And as a buyer, you are responsible for multi-million dollar departments. And so not only do you have to put collections together, you also need to be accountable for the financial deliverables, the marketing, the VM direction, the store presentation, the consumer, anything to do with the final execution of the product at the shop floor. That's on top of managing a team of people that you work with and also internal and external stakeholders. So your days are very, very full. Uh, What sort of training did you do or what sort of training do people receive when they come into that environment? What's great is, you know, in a lot of the organisations I worked for, there was training, a lot of training provided. That was very much about negotiation skills, change management, financial management. So that happened within. And now, you know, a lot of people going into those roles will have some sort of degree or qualification in fashion buying or design, marketing, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But when I first started, it was all done in-house and it was great because there was a lot of that provided. I was speaking to someone uh, recently who was telling me about some of the buying practices, not by all, obviously 
Basically, the phenomenon of overbuying so that you get obviously a per unit, um, a, a lower per unit, a bit like, you know, in my, in my world, printing where you, the more you print, the cheaper it is. The sense of just buying a certain quantity of goods to get it at a cheaper, at a cheaper base price. And then obviously the sale price, that's where you get your margin. But it, it ends up with a lot of wastage. Mm. Was that your experience? Not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that I say that, and it depends on organisations, but certainly the ones that I've worked for, you have to work to an open to buy. So you only have so much money you can spend and it is planned out to the, to the last unit. So I couldn't just go to a factory and say, look, I really only want 100 units, but I'm going to buy 500 because you can give me a better price. That's not how it worked. That would not have been allowed. What you get taught and learn over the years is really strong negotiation skills. Mm-hmm. So again, depending on which organisation you work with, I've never encountered that. I've never heard of that happening, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it does. But it could be a case of, look, if someone's got a, is working on really small quantities and they can't afford to pay the price, they may need to nudge it up a little bit, or there may be minimums that a particular factory has. And then if you want to go below those minimums, then you will need to pay, pay a premium. But again, that comes back into the negotiation. So you have a certain gross profit dollar and percent that you need to achieve. So you need to negotiate hard to ensure that you achieve those gross profits on your item. So what was the atmosphere like then? You know, it, it sounds very much like, yep, there's a lot of lot of business considerations, as you say. Um, what was the what was the atmosphere like in terms of teams working together? And I guess that probably varied depending on the workplace. Yes. Look, when I first started, retail was booming. You, you could sell anything. And so sales were always, you were always overachieving sales. So in the in the first few years of being in buying, it was good. It was busy, but it was good. And then things started to change and it became a pressure cooker. It was constant because when you're not achieving your sales or if you're just achieving your sales, then there's expectations and huge expectations to turn that around. There's expectations on get, being the first to market because fashion is all about who's going to do it first and who's going to set it, set the direction or the trend. So the environment in which it's probably worse now because of COVID, it's so intense mm. and it is so stressful. It, it, it is literally like some days you feel as if you don't, you can't even explain in a way that's going to be accepted by the management team as to why you have or have not achieved something. And as an example, as a buyer, if you have products that sell really, really well, you'll then be, you know, asked why you didn't buy more of that product because you'll never buy enough of a bestseller. Mm-hmm. And then on the on on the other side of that is if you have a product that doesn't sell, then you'll be hauled over the coals for buying too much of it. Right. So <laughs> you're in this no-win situation. The meat and the sandwich, literally. Yeah, yeah, quite literally. A lot of young girls and young women go into um, retail and that's, you know, not, not exclusively, but obviously uh, that is a place where for many young people, it's their first experience of what a work environment is like. Is it, in your view, a, a healthy environment? In a lot of cases, no. It actually saddens me when I hear about young people that are having really unpleasant experiences in retail. It, it is your first, you know, generally most people's first job and, you know, the expectations are unrealistic and the way that they're treated is is appalling in a lot of cases. There's a 
systemic bullying that goes on, this is something that really absolutely has to change. And the behaviours and the expectations from, you know, everyone that works within the industry has to change. We're humans, we're on a shop floor, all we're trying to do is provide a service. If you're starting out, you're learning, you need to be taught and shown and, and you know, given some empathy and understanding that not everybody gets it straight up. So, I, you know, I, I do feel for young people out there in the workforce now and what they're being subjected to. And is that coming from customers or is that coming from the pressures that are being imposed in the workplace? It's coming from both, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. You know, I'd like to think that consumers are are very aware, but sometimes, as we know, if a person's had a bad day at their work and just one little thing doesn't go quite right when they're, you know, having um, an experience in store, then that poor person who's who's serving them could cut the brunt of it. Or if the person serving them is following a store directive, it's not their decision, it's, you know, management, consumer doesn't like it, then that person on the coalface will be the one that's impacted. But there's also a lot that happens from within the organisations. I've also seen some examples where just the sheer lack of numbers of staff in stores creates enormous pressure. You know, stores where there's literally one person serving Mm -hmm. and they have to shut the store literally to go to the toilet. Yes. That must put incredible pressure and also there is no, in that case, sort of training or guidance or supervision even. No, no, there isn't. And look, the really sad thing is, and I, I will never understand this, and it's been like it for as long as I can remember, when sales are tough in retail, in business, the first thing that gets cut are the team members on the shop floor. Mm. And it baffles me because if you don't have people serving the customers, how can how you sell more? Turn around? <laughs> That's right. They're going to turn around and walk out the door. And it is things like you have one person on and they have to shut the shop to go to the bathroom or to have a break or any of those sorts of things. And what's happening now, unfortunately, is there are more positions vacant in retail than there are people applying for them because people just aren't getting looked after. One of our previous guests, Dominic Lamb, who, as you know, is a Mm. uh, a commentator on retail and has been involved in the sector for a long time. I know that she has been very vocal, as have others, particularly during COVID about, again, that extra pressure that was placed on retail staff around mask mandates, but also around security, around shoplifting, yes. around general security and the behaviour of some customers in stores. We're really yes. putting a lot on people who are there to serve customers. We're expecting a lot of them, aren't we? Yes, we are. And I don't know if you know how much they get paid on an hourly rate, but what they get paid absolutely is not what would it be, Jude? What is the hourly rate for someone in that sort of retail setting? If you're a casual, it's um, it's just over twenty one dollars an hour, twenty close to twenty two dollars an hour. Plus, you get loading. You know, if you're working on weekends and things. If you're a permanent part time or a permanent member of retail, it's twenty seven dollars an hour, hmm. or just over twenty seven dollars an hour. It's not much. And of course, those casuals don't have sick pay, holiday pay, anything like that. Nothing, hmm. nothing. And which probably, when you're thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sounds like a lot of money. And when you're at that age, it is. But if you're sort of taking yourself through uni and you're doing this to support and you have to be a casual because you are at uni, Mm -hmm. then it's not a lot. And there's a lot of pressures on you already. And then you're going into the workplace and and having these encounters as well, or, you know, having, like I said, managers. And I have seen it firsthand in the way that floor staff get treated by management in certain retailers. And it is disgraceful to say the least. And it sounds like the history of the the industry.
industry really has been where there has been that high level of churn. You know, for every for every young person who uh, is happy to work on a Thursday night and a Saturday morning, but then goes on and finds a quote real job, uh, we find another one. But that's not quite the way it is anymore because you know, as we know, that we've we've got labour shortages everywhere, including at that very casualised job front. So we yes. can't continue to behave that way. We can't. And what again I find staggering is it's not sinking in. You know, like some stores can't even open because they have not got staff yes. to work it. And I'm going, so where's the incentive? Where's the looking out for people or the looking after people to ensure that they stay and they don't want to leave this organization? You know, there are there are certain retailers that are, are then stripping away benefits instead of enhancing them to try and keep people. And these are the very same retailers that are saying, if I can't get staff to to work on X day because somebody's sick, we have to close the store. Mm-hmm. But yet they're stripping away any benefit that you may have had in the past. So I, I don't understand this way of thinking at all. No, it certainly doesn't sound like a sustainable business model. We know though that a lot of retailers and, and fashion brands have taken the issue of environmental sustainability really seriously. Yes. And are doing applaud, applaudable things in in mm. sustainable sourcing of product and really making a play for that. But I know that you have spoken previously about sometimes are we actually caring more for, for the environment at the exclusion of our people? Yes. And I stand by that statement because largely, and you know, it's like any industry, there are always those that are doing the right thing environmentally and with their people. But I think largely what's happening is we've pushed or we've focused on sustainability, ethical sourcing, carbon footprint, environmental impacts, which are all critically important. We have put them as our number one focus and yet still we have people who are taking time off due to mental health issues because the pressures are unrealistic and unsustainable for those that are working to deliver on the sustainability aspects. And, you know, I just think the only reason that we have made those changes that we have to our sourcing and sustainability is because there ha- there were a lot of voices that forced through that change. Mm. So companies took it on board and said, yep, this is what we're doing. And it brings me an enormous amount of satisfaction and joy to see so much changing on that front. But it's on the other side, heartbreaking to see the expense of the people. And, and so is that what Mind Your Fashion is about? Is it about mustering those voices and saying that this is another important issue that, that can't be pushed aside and, and has to be addressed? Yes, yes. That And that is, look, that's the reason I started Mind Your Fashion. It's, you know, from personal experiences in the industry, from witnessing others and their experiences, from, you know, hearing and reading about high profile people in the industry that have paid an ultimate price because of the expectations. And I feel like this is sort of the last cog in the wheel, if you like, that I I think needs to be embraced and changed. You know, it takes voices, like I said, and you've got to have one that starts it, that starts the movement, if you like, to affect the change. And that's the goal of Mind Your Fashion, to be that voice and to do as much as we can to raise awareness for the change in behaviour 
and how we take care of those that are that are struggling with mental health issues. Sometimes when individuals or a small number of voices speak out on an issue, they attract criticism from others. Have you felt that? Uh, not me personally. Uh, in fact, well, I ha- I've had one person that uh, probably didn't didn't really support, supported but didn't support, but that's only been one person in the last two years. Every time I talk about this and mind your fashion and what our purpose is, the response is overwhelming. And it's particularly overwhelming when I deliver talks at fashion design or anything fashion in the education sector. So so young people are open to, to hearing this message? They are open to hearing it and they're already experiencing it. Mm-hmm. So they are first and foremost to, to applaud it and say, thank you. So glad that somebody's talking about this because they are very, very aware and very sensitive to this as well. But I've also had it from other people within the industry that have said, yes, great. So I'm feeling positive about it. That's great news. Just tell us a bit more about what that purpose is of Mind Your Fashion, what you would like to achieve through Mind Your Fashion. We have a number of goals. Um, Obviously, the first one is to, to continue to raise that awareness and talk about it. The second is education and understanding. So going into workplaces and also into, like I said, education sector to educate on what is mental health, what is mental illness, what are the things that people experience, how can you identify those, what can you do to assist. And that's not to say you've got to, you know, go and learn counselling or psychology or anything like that, but it's, okay, if you're seeing someone struggling or you think something's not quite right, then what are the tools that you need in order to help that person? And it could just be a matter of going and managing it up to um, a wellness manager in the organisation or to HR or someone like that. But it's about education and understanding. You know, I've had, I've personally had experiences with anxiety and until I actually had it clinically diagnosed, I had no idea what it was. And I always thought previous to having that, it was just, you know, you feel a little bit, you know, tight in your stomach or something, but it's debilitating. And people may say that they're anxious and others go, yeah, yeah, you'll be fine and just brush it off. But it's taking those things really seriously. So education is key. So going into organisations, we're we're working with uh, another organisation who does this and they're tailoring a program which is specifically for the fashion industry that we can work with and go in to educate on that. The other thing we're looking to do is a compliance program. So this is is an ultimate goal. Uh, A lot like if you are going to source uh, or manufacture overseas, factories that you use need to be compliant. So there is certain criteria that they need to achieve in order for you to use them and for those manufacturers to be deemed a safe place to produce your goods and they're safe for their workers to work in. So we're looking to put together a Mind Your Fashion compliance or accreditation, Mm -hmm. which means that there are certain criteria that organisations will need to hit to be deemed a mentally healthy, safe workplace. And is part of that accreditation or your thinking around accreditation in some ways about tapping into that sense of conscious consumerism where if if I want to support the idea of a workplace looking after its employees, I can choose where to spend my money. And so something that might indicate to me whether it's a healthy place to work. That's what we're hoping will happen. And that's what's happening now uh, as far as on the sustainability front. You know, if organisations aren't seen to be doing that, then the consumer will be very considered in whether they actually purchase from that particular brand. And we would like it to get to the point where it's also with 
mind your fashion? Are they looking after their people? And it's the same one, you know, with food. You know, if you're looking at food that's good for you, it will generally have a heart foundation tick or if it's organic, it will have, you know, certified organic. So we're looking to do something similar, but that that's a, a process. Mm. But it, it's certainly one that we're working towards. I mean, I do recall there's fairly regular reporting about which brands are doing the right thing in terms of that, that piece around ethical sourcing and manufacture. Yes. Um, but I don't know of anything that certainly talks about it, those workplaces or those organisations as being healthy places to work. No. As far as I know, there there is nothing. You have looked into it, but as far as I'm aware, there is nothing that gives that indication. There are places that, for example, you know, in the building and construction industries that are deemed to be safe workplaces from a WHS perspective, mm-hmm. but we're talking on, you know, a mentally healthy, safe place. And I am not aware of anyone that currently has anything that indicates that. Can you give some advice if I'm a, a young person, or indeed it doesn't matter if I'm a young person, but if I'm a, w- a person working in the fashion sector, what are the things that I should be aware of in terms of both my treatment of people around me, but also how I'm being treated? What What are the sort of signals that maybe it's not a healthy workplace? Okay. So I would be very mindful about how we speak to our colleagues, just the general interaction with colleagues. And I think that's very important to be considerate of people, to be kind. You know, it's something that I think we need to demonstrate more of just generally in the workplace and just with each other is that level of kindness that we show because we're all just ultimately trying to do the best that we can do. And I think sometimes we're not taking things into consideration to go, look, you know, like I mentioned before, if a consumer or a customer comes into your store and they may be a little off, (laughs) uh, we don't know what's happened in their day. So sometimes it's hard to rise above it. And I'm not saying for one minute anybody should tolerate bad behavior from from a customer or from a team member, but it's sometimes around if you're having an interaction with somebody and their behavior is inappropriate, it would be by removing yourself and saying, I'm not going to continue to have this conversation with you. I am feeling X, Y, Z. And there are processes in which you can manage that up to other uh, managers within an organization. The challenge with that can also be if you are talking to the manager and they're the one that's behaving like that, then what steps do you then need to take in order for this to be heard? And that would be, okay, I now need to go to HR, for example. Mm. Whatever age you're at working in the industry, it's also knowing what your rights are, if you like, and what you're entitled to. So I think a lot of people get taken advantage of. You hear about people that aren't given breaks, that are expected to just work, you know, X amount of hours straight without having a break. That's that's not acceptable. That sort of behavior is not acceptable. Mm. And again, like I said, tasks that may be deemed to be not appropriate or again, unacceptable for time or, you know, any any of those sorts of things. It's, it's someone knowing that they have rights and it's okay to speak out. But there's always a fear that people who do speak out then sometimes find themselves without a job. Mm. This is something that you have responded to. You've re- you've seen a problem. You've experienced a problem. You've seen others experience a problem, and you've responded to it. I'm wondering how fast or how slow you think uh, the reforms and changes that you'd like to see might take. Uh, I'm a, I'm pretty realistic. The fashion industry can move very fast when it wants to on certain things, and that's great. But when it comes to something like this, I think it may take more time, and I think the changes will speed up when there are more people talking about it and more people getting behind our organisation. 
for example, mind your fashion, to say there has to be change because it's the volume and the number of voices that are out there and what keeps being talked about will force that change. And we're seeing it happen in other sectors and and other areas that have to have change. We're seeing that happen by the voices and that's what I'd like to see with this. But I think it's going to take a while. So if there's anyone listening out there who would like to get on board and be part (laughs) of this change, how do they do that? Yes. Um, Okay. So they can jump on to the website, which is mindyourfashion.net. We have a membership available, which is free. And so just join up because, you know, again, it helps to have members on board if anybody would love to make a donation because, again, marketing and getting your messaging out there, it'll cost money and, you know, we're doing the best that we can, but everything helps. And I didn't mention this before, but ultimately we're also looking to have an app, a resource app for anyone that is needing a resource or support. They will be able to go onto a Mind Your Fashion app, which provides pretty much anything that they're looking for, whether it be psychologist, nutrition, exercise, wellness retreats, music, books, anything that you can think of as a resource. That's what we would like to develop in our Mind Your Fashion app. Well, congratulations, Jude. Thank you for taking up the, ch- the challenge. You know, as I said, it's it's always hard being the first and one of the reasons that our WNA podcast is, is uh, focusing on trailblazers is for exactly that reason. It can be a lonely road at times and it's a lot of hard yes. work and hopefully you will be seeing some changes in the industry as you move forward. So thank you for turning your mind to what is a problem that obviously impacts a lot of people. And if you are listening out there, please get in touch with Mind Your Fashion if you can help and even spread the word that this is an issue that needs to be dealt with. I'm sure Jude will be very appreciative. Thank you so much, uh, Cheryl and WNA. And yes, uh, I'm delighted to have this opportunity to get some messaging out there. See, now everyone needs an I Love Jude t-shirt. I know. Look, we're going to go into business. We can certainly raise some money for Mind Your Fashion with the I Love Jude t-shirts, I'm sure. It gives me hope, though, whenever I listen to Jude, that change is possible, you know, that people are out there really advocating for groups of people they haven't even met so that other people can have a better experience and look after each other. I think it's a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing. I think what's also really positive about the work that Mind Your Fashion are doing is they're approaching it from a few different angles. So yes, they're talking about it publicly in terms of awareness and raising the issues around mental health and some of the, you know, the not so happy stories that have Mm. happened. But they're also doing some amazing things, both in terms of fundraising, but also looking to work with the sector to make some real changes. And I think that's a really exciting thing about Mind Your Fashion as a charitable organisation, because it's not just about, here's a problem, help us raise some money and that will fix it. They're actually looking at things like accreditation and really putting mental illness at the top of the list as fashion outlets and fashion retailers think about how they behave and how they treat their staff and then positioning themselves in a more positive way to their customers ultimately Mm. by saying, yep, we genuinely care about our people and this is what we're doing about it. So, you know, I think that sets a really positive example and that's why Women's Network Australia wanted to be involved and work with Mind Your Fashion and with Jude because it is really important that we don't just call out problems but we actually really try to work in bringing about practical solutions that make a difference. Yeah, we said at the top of the episode that Women's Network Australia is a partner of Mind Your Fashion. What was it about Jude in particular? Because I remember she said to me once that uh, she met you at a, I think, a networking event. And It was. And, um, yeah, when she spoke to you, you seemed so 
interested and so helpful. What was it about her that connected then? Because you didn't already have an I Love Jude t-shirt. <laughs> no, she had mastered the art of persuasion. That's an earlier episode in case you missed that. Nice, thing. nice crossover. Uh, Jude sat next to me at a networking lunch and we started talking as you do. And those who know me know that you know, fashion is not big priority for me. But when Jude was talking about fashion, she talked about it in such a passionate way, but also a really down-to-earth way as well. What I admire about the fashion industry is that creative side of it, that it's not about just churn and burn, that true fashion is about art and creating memorable, lasting experiences and moments through clothing, art and fashion. And I can really admire that. And Jude certainly has that admiration. But what I really liked was her honesty, that she was prepared to speak about her own experiences, but she was also heavily influenced by the experiences of those around her and close friends. And I, to me, that just really resonated in terms of seeing this as an organisation that was worthy of supporting and an issue that really we should be talking more about. Yeah, absolutely. So how can we support Mind Your Fashion and I suppose WNA's support of Mind Your Fashion from here? They're doing some wonderful things, obviously, with events. They also have had the support of a really great partnership with a parfum maker. An atelier, and, I think. An atelier. I did not know how to the, say uh, that until um, she invited me along to the event and had to teach me how to say <laughs> atelier and atelier. parfum. That's right. I so was un- can... unclassily saying perfume. Yes, yes, I think I probably was too. <laughs> Clearly we're not classy enough. No, Courageous is the name of the parfum and it is, oh, look, I'm going to spray it now. Can we do sound effects? Can you do a little? Well, you could spray it into the microphone and see if Listen. that works. Did you get that? It was either perfume or a cat hissing very softly. <laughs> Okay. It was actually a good squirt of courageous. And, oh, I can smell um, it from here. Beautiful. Can you? No. It's, it's divine. <laughs> so the parfum is for sale through the Mind Your Fashion website, which is mindyourfashion.net, and the profits go to support Mind Your Fashion and the work that they're doing. And, of course, Women's Network Australia will be talking more about Mind Your Fashion, but more importantly, the issues that Mind Your Fashion and Jude are bringing to light. So in our magazines and our blog, on our website, which is womensnetwork.com.au. And of course, today in this podcast, you know, we really want to shine the light on the fact that certain industries and sectors can do and must do better when it comes to the way they treat their people and particularly the mental health of their employees. And this is a classic example of an organisation that's put its hand out and is wanting to work with all parts of the industry to make it better for everyone. Next time on WNA Trailblazers... She used to represent Australia in the pool and so did her husband, co-founder of Unlocking Her Potential, Libby Trickett, and husband Luke Trickett, fund manager and founder of blue stamp company Marmalade, both joined Cheryl to chat about transition and why it's so difficult to move away from something that we've known and done for so long. I think if I hadn't been injured, I would have been pulled kicking and screaming out of swimming. I don't know if I'd ever known the right time to retire again because I was scared of life after sport. When you are the best in the world at the age of 23, kind of all downhill from there. <laughs> and the thing that I've learned at, you know, ripe old age of 37 now is that everybody feels like that. There are so many different places where we just are winging it. Women's Network Australia Trailblazers, amplifying the stories of women in business. Follow us from this podcasting app and be the first to hear new episodes. What's your story? We'd love to hear it. Or if you know someone who'd make a great guest in a future episode of WNA Trailblazers, drop us a line on the Contact Us page at womensnetwork.com.au. 
thinking about making your own podcast? Welcome Change Media would love to help. Visit welcomechangemedia.com.au. WNA Trailblazers is a Welcome Change Media production.